0: Let's go to the Bible. If you found Mark 7, will don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Mark chapter 7. It's a long passage. We'll read from verse 1 down to verse 13. Grass with us in the flowers, fade with the Word of our God, it stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. <clears throat> now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they ate with defiled hands. He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things do you do. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, to you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask you to help us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that by your Spirit you would bring healing and hope and joy and forgiveness, that you would restore a sense of your presence, that you would remind your children how good it is to be a child of God, that you would call people today, call people to yourself that have yet to turn in faith to Christ. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> a man named Adonaiam Judson is probably the most well known missionary from history. You can find his story in a book called To the Golden Shore. We probably have it in our bookstore. To the Golden Shore is a great book that every Christian should read whether or not you want to be a missionary. It's his biography of Adonai Judson and his lovely wife, Anne. Adonai Judson and Anne landed in Calcutta in 1812, and from the very beginning, it was nothing but hardship. His life in Calcutta would be beset with hardship. He would be beaten, he would get malaria, he would contract some sort of pulmonary disease, he would almost starve. At one point, he served two years, almost two years in a prison. And that didn't mean just sitting in a cell, they would chain, put a chain around his ankles and hoist him up by his ankles and hang upside down, almost two years. He served six years before he ever saw one person become a Christian. In the course of his missionary career, he would bury three wives and multiple children. But it was the death of his first wife, Anne. And maybe because after Anne died, six months later, their toddler daughter died. It was after those twin deaths that Adonai Judson said he was taken to the very edge of sanity. At one point he was, had gotten so mortal and thinking of mortality and death that he, he dug his own grave and sometimes he would just go and lay in his own grave and sleep in it. Said he almost, almost lost his faith. Said that he came to the re- realization that, that when he was not holding on to God, God was always holding on to him. He had a real faith, a faith not in his own ability to believe but a faith in God's ability to keep genuine faith in a wise and all good, supremely good, loving God that holds us secure in Christ. That's all ahead of us now. We get to Mark chapter 7. It's time to turn the page. Things have changed, and the direction in the gospel has changed you've been with us for some time, we've been going through Mark, Mark chapters 4, 5, and 6 show us all of who Jesus is. Mark is writing to make sure that his hearers understand that Jesus is all God and he is all man. He answers the question, who is this? That calms the storms and walks on the water and feeds the thousands. Who is this? Chapter 7, the miracles are over. If this is your first time, you you came in a good Sunday. You've caught us now as we turn the corner. This will be the beginning of the story of Jesus and the very last year of his earthly life begins here. Chapter 7. Jesus turns our attention to what is necessary, what is real. The miracles have stopped. Now he'll start teaching about what lasts, What's going to hold you up when you feel like you are drowning? You think you're not going to make it. Look, we got to get past religion and rituals and rules. we, we got to get to what is real. We need to work past culture and expectations and, and, and even values and bore down, bore down, dig down into real faith. Chapter 7 is a shift in tone, is a shift in attention as we now begin to peer into the very soul of what does it mean to be a Christian, to look into the soul of what does it mean to actually be a child of God? What does it mean to have real faith? And I can give testimony to this. I can give testimony to this Real faith will always get you through. Real faith will always get you through. Let's do what we've been doing when we come to these long passages. Let's go back through it and just gently, kind of just quickly walk through, point out a couple of things, verses 1 through 13, and then after doing that, then we just make some applications and make that the sermon. Join me there, Mark chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1 and just start, start walking through it. And providing some some explanation. Join me there. Verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of these scribes, they came from Jerusalem. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the Jews, the scribes were the scholars. They came from Jerusalem. It is a 90-mile journey. You travel in a car, it's about an hour and a half. You walk it, it's going to be six or seven days. They had something on their mind. They are not there to congratulate Jesus. The fame of Jesus has risen to the degree that those in Jerusalem were looking for a reason and a way to execute. They needed a crime. The scribes and the Pharisees are, they have been dispatched to go and watch. Verse 2 tells us, they get there and they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Now, defiled or unwashed is not like what you and I might think about being unwashed. We think about people washing their hands. We want them to wash their hands because we don't want a germ on their hands. We don't have to shake somebody's hands it has got germs on their hands. There are a lot of you sitting here right now. You are so glad that we don't say, hey, get up and greet your neighbor. Go shake hands. You're glad that that's over. COVID knocked that all the way out. Now, I'm, I'm lucky to get a fist bump out of people now. That's not what they were talking about, the hygiene. They they thought there was some religious significance to washing hands and saw that Jesus' disciples didn't do it. Now, you'll notice in verses 3 and 4, you see verses 3 and 4, Mark gives an explanation. He does that. This is how we know that the gospel of Mark was written to Roman, to Gentiles, because he's having to explain why the Jews did this. Verse 3 and 4, he gives the explanation. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of elders. When they came home from the marketplaces, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of the cups and pots and and copper vessels and dining couches. It's like Mark saying, okay, you get the idea. It's a religious thing that they did. Then he brings us back to the story in verse 5. The Pharisees, that's the leaders, and the scribes, that's the scholars, asked him, why do your disciples, and by implication you, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Notice they're not saying, why don't they follow the law of Moses? It's the tradition of the elders. They eat with defiled hands, and to them Jesus said, now he's going to quote the Bible. I love the fact that Jesus will always make his argument from the Bible. He reaches over to the Old Testament, pulls up Isaiah chapter 29, and this is what he says. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, you hypocrites? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is about worship. This is about how you will understand God And how does God work, and how do you know God? Jesus continues, verse 8. You have left the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you've got a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own commandment or your own tradition. And then Jesus gives an illustration. This is a tragic illustration. For Moses said, verse 10, honor your father and mother. Okay, this is the fifth commandment. It's an important thing. You'll find it in Deuteronomy. You'll find it in Exodus. It also has something attached to it that says, honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's what God says. But you say, Jesus says, you say something different. You say that if a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have, would have gained from me is Corbin. And again, he explains, that means dedicated to God. So the idea was you work to a certain age, and that day and time, there was no retirement plan. Your retirement plan was once you were not able to work anymore, your children would have set aside enough money, they can take care of you. But there arose a tradition that the elders said, if you'll say that that money is dedicated to God, Corbin, then you won't have to take care of your parents. So they were following the tradition of the elders, and following the tradition of the elders had made them transgress the commandment of God. And Jesus is saying to these smart people, these leaders, scribes, and Pharisees, don't you see that you have taken this idea of tradition? to the point it is now making you transgress God's law. And then verse 13, he says, Thus they, you do that and you make the word of God void. You've made it void by your tradition and there are all kinds of things that you're doing. Now, here's, he's get, Now Jesus is getting to what does it mean to have real faith? Now let's go back and see if we can make some applications. I'll start slow, and we'll pick up speed as we go. Here's the first one. Number one, real faith. Real faith withstands scrutiny. Scrutiny. Real faith. Have real faith, stand up to scrutiny. That's what what verses 1 and 2, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had gone from Jerusalem to find Jesus. They went there because they wanted to watch him. They wanted to trap him. Christians live... Christians live in glass houses. You live in a glass house. Now you can sometimes re- you can sometimes resent living in a glass house. You want to pull the curtains. I would say don't pull the curtains. Polish the glass and let the people look. Scrutinized. Jesus didn't hide, but he was to make sure that you have the right understanding. The Pharisees and the and the scribes they came with their scrutinizing, spying eye, and they say to Jesus, verses 1 and 2, why do your disciples not keep the tradition? And then Mark explains in verses 3 and 4, he says, you know, the Jews, they felt like they had to wash their hands. It's part of their tradition after everything. He's, He's telling the Roman church, this is why this is such a big deal. It's because they've gone beyond the law of God and now we're following a tradition. And why do we do the things? It's good for us from time to time to ask the question, why do we do the things that we do? What part is tradition? What part is legalism? What part is worship? What part is important? What part is not? It's good for us to be able to think about those things here at Hickory Grove. Why do we start the service this morning with the reading of the Bible? Why is the call to worship reading the Bible? Why do the songs, all of them, find their root somewhere in Scripture as either a prayer to God or a song about God? Why, in the middle of our service, do we pause to have a prayer of confession? Why do we do those things? What, what is important in the life of a church's worship? What is not important? Why do I have a tie on? Why does John C. Merton not wear a tie? Does that that even matter? The answer is no. It's good for us to think what does matter and what doesn't matter. And that's the point that Jesus is going to take these scribes and these Pharisees. You're coming and asking questions about a tradition that has nothing to do with God's Word. You see, real faith is able able to withstand scrutiny. That's one thing. Let's go a little Let's pick up the speed a little bit. I'll give you a second point, see if we can get through it. Number two, <clears throat> real faith hates legalism. Legalism hates legalism. Let me show you where I get that. It's in verse five. Uh, the text says that Pharisees, the Pharisees and the scribes, they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? You understand that this group is scrutinizing Jesus now. The question about legalism is a question that the scribes and the Pharisees, they're asking, verse 5, why do they not follow the tradition of the elders? So let me pause here and say, what is the tradition of the elders? If you want to do your own research, you can look up two words, Mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A-H, Mishnah, or the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D what that is is a collection of writings that serve as a commentary on the old testament so you have the bible god's law and the scribes and the pharisees would read it and then write a commentary and say well in order to keep you from from breaking god's law you need to live like this and over the years and into the centuries they added more and more to god's law to help you not break god's law but in an effort to keep you from not breaking God's law, they started writing their own tradition. And that tradition became equal to God's law. So much so that the Pharisees and the scribes said to Jesus, why are your disciples not following the elders? They had taken tradition and raised it up to be equal with God's law. And Jesus is going to he is going to bring them back to some sobriety here. Because it's not the tradition that matters. Look, tradition can, be, tradition can be so healthy. It can be so healthy. We need to know the difference between tradition and traditionalism. We all have traditions, family traditions. There are, I mean, college football started yesterday. All of these traditions that go with college football it can be really healthy to build a culture to have good tradition can make the place solid we have our own traditions here but traditionalism says if you don't do this then you are not really worshiping and the question that the scribes and the pharisees have for jesus is not why are your disciples breaking god's law that's not what they were asking they had elevated their tradition up to the to the level of god's law and they're asking why aren't they following the rules i mean in this case right here why they weren't washing the only people that were required by god's law to wash their hands before going into the holy place were the priests. ordinary people weren't required to do that That was the elders that said, well, if the priests do it, may the ordinary people, and they made that part of the law. That's that's binding. That's legalism. What about legalism now? What is legalism today? Legalism is going to be when you major on the minors. When you major on the minors and you miss God. Legalism is when you, you elevate what is human what are human rules above what is divine what does God say and when you start elevating what is human over what is divine you create a form of idolatry you actually create a God that is not the God of the Bible and legalism You see, in legalism, you can measure your own goodness. You can say, these are the things that must be done in order for you to actually be a good person. And if you can keep those things, if you're a rule keeper or a list follower, legalism is right up your alley. Because you can write down, these are the things that must be done in order to be accepted by God. You do them, you're accepted. Isn't that what the... Some of you know the story of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer going up to the temple to pray. Isn't that what the Pharisee said? Lord, I thank you. This was his prayer. Lord, I thank you that I am not like other people, extortioners and the unjust and adulterers, or or even like this tax collector over here. I have kept the rules. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. You know what legalism is? Legalism is the enemy of grace because legalism tells you here's are, here are the things that you need to do, and if you do them, you will have favor with God. That's not Christianity. Look, if you're new to coming to church, that's not Christianity. That's karma. Karma is not Christianity. Karma says if you do bad things, sooner or later that's going to catch up with you, bad things are going to happen to you. You do good things, sooner or later somebody will pay it forward to you. That's karma. That's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't doesn't have a bank where we're trying to invest all the good things, and if we get enough good things in that bank, God's going to let us in. We get the green light. That's not Christianity. Christianity says that all my righteousness is filthy rags. Christianity says there is nothing in me that makes, makes it so that God should love me, and yet he does. Christianity says it is God's gift, it's grace. Certainly a grace found in Jesus, a grace found in his perfect life, his death on the cross. That I've been saved by faith in what Jesus has done for me. I think think there's a difference. Don't, don't, Don't hear me wrong. I think there is a difference in legalism and living obediently. I think to pursue holiness, to live above reproach, to humbly try to honor God with your life is is living out. That's not legalism, that's just obedience. If you're new to church, maybe new coming here to Hickory Grove, let me try to explain Christianity with just a, a few short words. The Bible teaches that God has created all of us in his image. You are due respect. We respect you because you are made in the image of God. But the image of God in every human has been disfigured by our sin. There's not a person here. You've got a conscience. You know that you have committed sin. And when I say sin, I don't mean just bad choices or mistakes. I mean a willful crime. The way the Bible describes sin is it's a crime against God. This God who created you to have fellowship with you. Sin is so heinous that it, it's not just something that causes sorrow, it causes separation. A holy God will not have fellowship with sinful people because he is so holy and sin really is that bad. But the Bible teaches that God doesn't leave us in our sin. Here's the gospel, this is what the gospel is. The Bible teaches that God loved you to the degree he gave Jesus. A lot of you know John three sixteen. Here it is. He gave Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Jesus had to be fully man because he's living in a way we can't. We live and don't have fellowship with God. Jesus lives perfectly, keeps all the laws, does so joyfully, maintains perfect fellowship with God the Father. So that is righteousness that he has earned. What happens at the cross is, at the cross, God judges our sin. Remember the wages of sin is death but he pours that judgment on Jesus at the cross. So that at the cross, Jesus takes the judgment for all the sin of every sinner that will ever be saved. So if you're going through something terrible, God is not judging you. If you're a child of God, God has already poured judgment on Jesus at the cross. In addition to that, you not only have your sin taken away, you receive the righteousness of Christ. After the death of of Christ on the cross, God raised him from the dead. He did so on a Sunday. That's why we go to church on a Sunday. We celebrate this new life on Sunday. And that is a sign that God has received the sacrifice, that forgiveness is granted. Now, that's the information of the gospel. The way it becomes yours is you believe that Jesus did that for you. And you trust and what Jesus has done. His life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. That's how you get real faith. Real faith will withstand scrutiny. Real faith, we hate legalism because we we love grace so much. I'm gonna give you a third thing to think of. I need to speed it up a little bit. Number three, real faith loves the word. Real faith loves the word. What I mean when I say the word, I mean the Bible. One of the things that you'll find Jesus always doing is taking us back to what has God said in his word. How has God revealed himself? Verses six and seven, you see him, he quotes Isaiah chapter 29. And he says, Isaiah spoke of hypocrites. He's talking about y'all. You come down to verse eight, he, he uses the imagery of Marriage, he says, you want to leave the commandment of God and you want to cling to the tradition of men. It's the same thing out of Genesis. That a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He's saying, that's what you're doing with the Bible. Or verse 9, he says, you've rejected the commandment of God. You've established the tradition of men. Or down in verse 13, he says, you're going to take the word of God and, and make it void. You're emptying it. What is he saying? He's saying that any tradition, church tradition, family tradition, cultural traditions, weekend traditions, any of those must come under the authority of God's word. It is God's word that that shows us who he is and how we are saved and how he loves you, how to live what to reject and what to receive. Real faith loves the word. I'm going to give you a fourth thing about real faith. Number four, real faith takes responsibility. You've got to think within out to get through this one, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. To make his point here, Jesus uses an illustration from the day. It's one of the most egregious abuses of that day. Verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and I'm trying to read it and explain it again. Join me there in your Bible. <clears throat> Verse 9. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. You reject the commandment of God to establish your own tradition. So here's the way. Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. So it's a commandment. It's the fifth of the 10 commandments. It's one that every Jew knew. And why wouldn't you keep that? Well, here's what the tradition has done. But you say, verse 11, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God. So whatever money I have set aside that was going to take care of you in your older years, what I have done is I have set it aside to be dedicated to God. Now I've done some research on this. You could do that, not have to give it to the temple. You could just say you were doing that, and if the law of nature played out, your parents, they're older than you, they're going to die, they won't know, they'll be gone, you can keep that money. And and so what was going on is, it was finding a loophole, you see, that you, um, verse 11, you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, I've dedicated it to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. He gets to keep that money. And by doing that, what you've done is allow that person to actually break the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. You've made that person a commandment breaker. And Jesus exposes how these legalistic scribes and Pharisees were leading people, by their tradition to break the word of God. And what Christ has said to the people is that God's commandment points us to responsibility. That if you're a child, you honor your father and mother, you take care of them. You don't find loopholes. See, real faith actually takes responsibility. I'd like to give you, I'd like to give you just one last one. There's a the fifth point, number five. <laughs> Real faith hates hypocrisy. This is in 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7. If you're a Christian, you know this. You you bristle. Maybe the most most insulting thing to be called would be to be called a hypocrite. Even the word, the Greek word hypocrite, means play actor, to act like something. I mean, the the word hypocrite is still active in our culture. We, We still use it. I mean, look at the passage in verse 6 and 7. Jesus, he quotes Isaiah, but right there in verse 6, dial in with me in verse 6, he uses two parts of the body, lips and heart. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We understand that comparison. I mean, you can hear that in our colloquialisms today. You might hear somebody say, talk, talk, is cheap or we used to say um, he talks the talk but does he what yeah you know this one you know what he's saying here in Isaiah 29 6 the question is is their Christianity real or are they a hypocrite and we find this all throughout church people join the church being baptized used to you'd walk the aisle and be here and then gone your name's on a roll but there's no evidence whatsoever that's not christianity some sort of weird easy believism or cultural christianity that's not christianity christianity is this this real faith that bores down into who you are we don't look at the outward appearance It gets into the church in an insidious way. All of us here in this church, if you've gone to church for any amount of time, you have have had people come into your life that you really thought were, you thought he was a solid Christian, presented, all appearances said, but he was a hypocrite. You see, God, the Bible teaches, God looks at the heart. Isn't that what the Lord said to Samuel? Samuel trying to establish a king for Israel. Finally, he will come up with David. But before he sees David, who is a shepherd boy, he sees Eliab, who's tall and strong with a square jaw. And Samuel thinks, well, that guy looks like a king. And the Lord speaks to Samuel. And the Lord says to Samuel, the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. The scribes and the Pharisees here talking to Jesus, they were obsessed with the outward ceremonial cleanliness. And Jesus is saying to them, all of that religious nicety doesn't have any value compared to the heart. He's telling the Pharisees and the scribes, your are Worship is useless. It's a failure because it doesn't come from the heart. That's what I want for you. A heart that is surrendered to God in Christ. No matter the cost. No matter the inconvenience a heart and a life that is gripped with real faith. Because real faith will always get you through. This morning, with your heads bowed, would you join me for a moment of prayer? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord, a moment of prayer and commitment, part of our tradition here. And it is just a tradition. Part of our tradition is to end our service with a time of response. It's a song of worship, it'll be our last song. It is our church saying to you, we invite you, if you want someone to pray with you, our pastors are here. If you want someone to pray with you, to to talk to you further about what it means to give your life to Christ. A lot of you like to come and pray here when we sing, just to come in and pray for someone. If you'd like to come forward and we sing, we invite you to do that. Or maybe that's not something you're interested in, but you do wanna talk more about what it means to give your life to Jesus. We'll be outside in the lobby, when church is over, all of our pastors will be out there, you'll see us standing around, uh, some near the tables, and would love to talk to you about what it means for you to put your faith in the perfect life, atoning death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus and by your spirit that you find us faithful, that you bless this church, that you draw people to yourself, that you strengthen us for the task. God, I pray you give us a faith that is real. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?